In Galatians 5, Paul makes it clear that there's a difference between living in the spirit and also living in the flesh. Those that live in the spirit desire to please God. Their lives are aligned in such a way that the most important thing to them is connecting with the God that made them and doing things that glorify them in contrast to those who walk in the flesh. And that is walking in the flesh simply means somebody who lives as if this life is all there is. As was just read for us, Paul says the fruit of the spirit or the evidence of the spirits working in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its desires. If we live in the spirit, let us keep in step with it or walk in line with the spirit. If you lined up five just random Americans before this auditorium and you were to ask them what their religion of choice is, at least one of those individuals out of the five would say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And that word, that phrase, spiritual but not religious, it means to communicate a lot of things. But one of the things it communicates is I've got a connection with God, but I'm not really interested in organized religion. I've got my own special relationship with God, but I'm really not a part of any church or any group. There was an article in The Atlantic called Understanding What It Means to Be Spiritual But Not Religious. 64 million Americans describe themselves that way, spiritual but not religious. And the author said it could mean anything from a connection with Jesus to a deep appreciation for music, yoga or art. It can really mean anything. And we live in a time where people really like the title of being religious or spiritual, but not the traits. And the New Testament challenges you and it challenges me not to just claim to be spiritual, but to cultivate a deep spirituality in our lives. In John chapter four and verse 24, Jesus says God is spirit. Luke 24, 39 says that he is as well. And what that means is we're made in the image of God. And it makes sense that you and I would try to the best of our ability to connect with the God who made us to connect with the deepest part of our being with the God who created and fashioned us. Paul says in verse 25, notice it. Walk in the spirit that is connect with God and be the person that God would have you to be. But what does that mean? What does it really mean to be spiritual? You know, a lot of people, when they hear that, they think it means something like a man on a mountaintop praying off by himself or maybe a man in a monastery reading a lot of books and staring out of a window. But Paul says not only must we be spiritual, but we can know that we are. In 1989, Stephen Covey wrote that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It sold 40 million copies. He talked in that book about the seven habits that people have that are effective in life. And this morning, what I want us to look at is what are the seven habits of highly spiritual people? And do we have those things in our lives? Can we really know? On the one hand, there are people in the world that claim to be spiritual, but don't have any connection to anything as far as organized religion. But then there are Christians who are to walk in step with the spirit, as Paul commands us in verse 25. And we all just need to examine our lives and allow scripture to tell us whether we're really forming the habits And being the kinds of people that God would have us to be. And so let's notice this morning the seven habits of highly spiritual people, people whose lives are marked by being influenced by God's spirit. Here's number one. Highly spiritual people read and obey scripture. We're told in Second Timothy three, sixteen and 17 that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, that it's God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction and righteousness. Second Peter one, 20 and 21 says that those individuals that wrote the word of God were born along or carried along by the spirit of God. And so it would make sense that if this is a divinely inspired book given to us by the spirit, if we're going to be spiritual people, we've got to spend time with it. 
Psalm 1 and verse 2, the blessed man meditates in this law day and night. Joshua 1 and verse 8, God tells Joshua, these words that I command you this day, they won't depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate in them day and night. The highly spiritual person spends time in the word of God, reading it and digesting his teachings. The American Bible Society put out their annual state of the Bible around this time last year was April 2022. And here's what they found out. They found out that 64 million Americans had just stopped reading the Bible altogether. They thought their math was wrong. Their numbers were off. And so they went back and they did the numbers again. And they found out, though they wished they were wrong, they were actually right. Daily Bible readers in America used to hover around the 14 percent range, but recently it's dropped to as low as 10 percent. And they said maybe it's because of COVID or maybe it's because of online worship. But for all of the reasons that they could suggest, the bottom line is more Bibles are closed in this country than ever before. And the truth is, for those that once had their Bibles open and now have them closed, we will never truly be spiritual people without reading and digesting his words. Oh, how I love your law is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies and my teachers. Psalm 119, 97 through 99. Jesus says man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Matthew four and verse four. Jeremiah said your words were found and I did eat them and they were the rejoicing of my heart. If we're going to be spiritual people, highly spiritual people is to the degree that we read God's word and we decide we're going to take it in. This is not the same as somebody who shares a cute verse or a quote on social media about the Bible that they couldn't find in their own copy of the word of God. Neither is this the same thing as reading books about the Bible or blogs that mention spiritual things. It's really about actually picking up God's word and reading it. And there's no shortcut to this. If I'm going to be a spiritual person, I just have to open up the word of God and make it my own and read it and take it in and allow it to shape me. Job said in Job 23 and verse 12, I've desired the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. The spiritual person spends time and attention and detail with the word of God, maybe not as much as other people or in the same way as other people, but in the word of God. Nonetheless, it's what Paul encouraged Timothy in 2 Timothy 2:15. study, give every effort to present yourself as one approved to God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, one rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, as you think about this type of person and whether or not you're this type of person, Let me just tell you, this is not somebody this first point about reading and obeying scripture. I'm not saying to you that this person knows everything about the Bible or that they're an expert. Neither does this mean that this person can answer any trivia question that you were to ask them about the Bible. That's really not the point. But this person has decided that they really need to hear from God in order to direct their steps, order their paths. And unless they do that, they really can't be spiritual. The highly spiritual person views Bible reading sort of like brushing their teeth. They do it every day, whether they feel like it or not, whether it's a special occasion or not. They're just going to read the word of God. It's like their food. They feed their physical body. And so they're going to feed their spiritual body. And if they miss a day, their spirit growls because it knows better. Psalm 119, 103. Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my lips. And that's the highly spiritual individual. Turn your Bible to James chapter one. Notice in James chapter one, it's not just reading the word of God, though, it's actually putting it into practice. Notice James one and verse twenty two. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. If any man's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man that beholds his face in a mirror, his natural face. He goes his way and forgets what type of person he was like. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty, verse 25, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This person will be blessed in what he does. The highly spiritual person is not God's version of a spiritual thumb drive 
or a floppy disk for older generations. You know what those things do. They just download information and they're able to upload it upon request, but they don't do anything with the information. That's not this person. This individual has read the word of God. They've taken it in, but they also desire to obey it. What does that mean? If the Bible confronts them in their life and they know they need to repent, they change. Psalm 119.67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. If they read in the word of God that they're to rejoice, their heart and their soul rejoices. First Thessalonians five and verse 16. When God tells this person, you go two miles, they lace up their boots. Matthew five and verse 41. The highly spiritual person has said, you know what? I'm going to allow God to direct my steps and order them. I'm going to read his word. And when I find things in it that I need to do, I'm just going to simply obey him because he knows better than me. There's no shortcut. We can claim to be spiritual and claim to be close to God. But if we're far away from the spirit inspired word, then we're really not. After all, isn't that what Paul means in chapter five and verse 22 and 23 of Galatians five when he says the fruit are the evidence of the spirit? How do you know it? When you talk to somebody, you know whether or not they've been eating onions, don't you? And listen, Paul is saying in the same way you can peer into the life of somebody who claims to be walking in step with the spirit. And listen, it's obvious. That's why he says at the end of the list in verse 23, against such there is no law. You can do as much of this as you want. And in fact, if you're spirit filled, you can't help it because you walk in step with the spirit. The first habit of the highly spiritual individual is that he or she reads and obeys scripture. Now, here's number two. The highly spiritual person has godly conversation. There are two aspects to this, and we'll take them one at a time. But go ahead and turn your Bible to Colossians chapter four. Here's the second habit of a highly spiritual individual. They engage in what we'll just call godly conversation. In Colossians chapter four and verse two, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, praying also for us that God might open a door to us that we might be able to preach the mystery of the gospel. The first part of this is the highly spiritual person is engaged in the spiritual discipline of prayer. Now, I know this is important for spiritual people because the Bible emphasizes it so much that God's people should pray. But more than emphasize that we should pray, the Bible emphasizes that we should do a lot of it. Matthew, chapter seven, Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. Everyone that asks receives and the one that seeks finds and the one that knocks, it's open. And then he says, if you were to go to your child and they were to say to you, they need bread, you wouldn't give them a stone. If they wanted fish, you wouldn't give them a serpent. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God? But you've got to pray and ask him. James says you don't have because you don't petition. James four and verse two. Paul says pray always in the spirit. Ephesians six and verse 18. The Bible just unloads on us this reality that we should be praying. But more than that, spiritual people are praying all the time. They're devoted to it. Their conversation with God is a priority. When Daniel was in Babylon in Daniel chapter six, they said nobody can pray to their God for 30 days. It's as if Daniel couldn't go 30 seconds or 30 minutes without talking to his God, because Daniel six and verse 10 says when he knew the decree was signed, Daniel just went ahead and prayed like he always did. He opened his windows face toward Jerusalem and petitioned his God in prayer. And every truly spiritual person is like that. This individual prays to God in the morning and at night when they go throughout their day. Before they put their heads down, when times are good, when times are bad, they're just marked by godly conversation. Nobody in the history of the world has been or is more spiritual than Jesus Christ, and his life is filled with it. 
I want you to turn your Bible to Luke. We're just going to march through a few of these. We're going to go quick and maybe you can go back and study these later. But I just want you to see how many times and in how many different circumstances it's said about Jesus that he prayed. Go to Luke chapter three for the first one. And this is unique because all the Gospels tell us that Jesus was baptized. But only Luke tells us Luke three and verse twenty one that when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, he came out praying. He prayed after his baptism. Luke three and verse twenty one. Notice Luke chapter five. Luke chapter five and verse 16 says Jesus would go off into the desolate places. That is, he would break away from the crowd so that he could do this so that he could pray. Notice Luke chapter six and verse 12. Luke chapter six and verse 12. Before selecting the 12 apostles, Luke tells us Jesus spent all night in prayer to God. Look at Luke chapter nine. Go to Luke chapter nine. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is up there. Moses and Elijah are there. Even in good times, Luke 9, 28 and 29, Jesus was praying when Moses and Elijah appeared. And there's more. He prayed for Peter, his friend who was about to struggle. Luke 22, 31 and 32. And in his own valley of the soul, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know how he's going to be able to make it through that temptation? It's because he was praying. Luke 22, 41 through 44. Jesus didn't need a crash course in what it meant to be a highly spiritual person. And his life was marked by prayer. And if we're going to be God's people, if we're going to be truly spiritual individuals, we've got to cultivate this spiritual discipline. Highly spiritual people are often talking to God. But I told you there's a second aspect to this. And that is that they're often talking about God. There are two ideas for highly spiritual people. They're going to talk to God. That's prayer. But then they're going to talk about God. That's evangelism. Colossians chapter four. After Paul says, pray steadfastly. And walk in it in thanksgiving. In verse three, he says, pray for us that a door may be open so that we might preach the mystery of the gospel of Christ, for which I am also in chains and that I might make it bold. Speak it boldly as I ought to speak. Are you a spiritual person? Somebody says, yes, I read and study the Bible. That's great. What about prayer? And then this other aspect of godly conversation. Do you talk to other people about God? This person we're describing this morning is a person who just can't help it. It's not self-righteousness or arrogance that sort of puts other people off. It's just a part of who they are. They're not ashamed. Romans 1:16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Is your Christianity your best kept secret? Do people that work around you and live around you know that you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Jesus says this matters. If you confess me before men or acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my father, which is in heaven. That's not just about right before a person gets baptized, making a confession. I believe Jesus is the son of God, as important as that is. It's about a life of acknowledgement. And he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father, which is in heaven. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Do people around us know us for our godly conversation because we can't help but talk about God? But not just that we talk about him and that we know him, but that we want them to know him, too. Paul stood before Agrippa and you remember Agrippa's response. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Paul says, I wish that not almost, but you were all together just like I am, except for these chains. Acts 26, 28 and 29. They put Paul in prison for preaching the gospel. And when Paul was there, Paul's a spiritual person. And so, you know what happened to the Roman guards that were there to watch Paul? They became his brothers in Christ. Philippians 4:22. The godly person is marked by this type of conversation. You can just ask yourself two questions. What's my conversation like? Do I talk about God? 
and do I talk to God? If you can only have two conversations every day, have these two. Pray to God always with all prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and then talk to other people around you about God. Paul says, I made this known. I kept back nothing that was profitable. But he says, I did it publicly and from house to house. Acts 20 and verse 20. Highly spiritual people don't keep their faith a secret. They share it with everybody who will listen. Now, here's number three. The highly spiritual person worships corporately. David said in Psalm 122 and verse one, this is a famous verse. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That phrase, that quote from Psalm 122 and verse one is in stark contrast to a lot of people that I sometimes find myself talking to. And they'll ask me things like, listen, if I become a Christian, do I have to go to church? Isn't that just like extra credit for the really bad people? Listen, I'm good with Jesus. Hiram, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray to my God. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell other people about Jesus, but I'm really not so sure that I've got to do the whole church thing. I mean, I can be as close to God as you or anybody else in isolation. After all, Jesus really never said anything about anybody going to church. Jesus wanted you to be a good person, live the right life, be changed, but nothing about this gathering stuff. But what if he did? In John 4 and verse 23, Jesus says the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is looking for those kinds of people to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That tells us two things. Jesus wants worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? It means in spirit, right mindset. We can sit in this auditorium, sing the songs, eat the supper. Pray the prayers, and if our heart's not right, God doesn't want it in spirit, but also in truth. That means according to his word. That's what God wants from us. Somebody says, yes, but can I give that to God on my own? And that's right. You can. Christians can and should worship by themselves on occasion and give devotion to God. But the New Testament also expects and demands that we would come together. This is important, especially in our time where people think they can have a sort of isolated relationship with God. Highly spiritual people are worshiping God corporately together, just like he said. In Acts 20 and verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to leave the next day and continue his speech until midnight. Paul was waiting in Troas to partake of the Lord's Supper with those other Christians and be with them because he knew how important this was. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 11. And if you mark in your Bible, I'm going to give you a few verses, and I just want you to highlight them. 1 Corinthians 11 is about the Lord's Supper and about the Corinthians' abuse of the Lord's Supper, and Paul writes to sort of straighten them out about this. But as he writes this, he says some things that just lets us know that God has always wanted his people to be together. And by the way, especially about the Lord's Supper, it's not the case that people in the first century ever thought to themselves, well, I can just do this off away from everybody on my own. That's never the way God designed it. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 and notice verse 17. Paul says, when you come together, that's our phrase. He says, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. Now look in verse 18. It's the same phrase. When you come together, there it is again. In verse 20, he says, when you come together and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the chapter in verse 34, Paul says, when you come together. You see, the spiritual person realizes that God has never wanted his people to be his people off in isolation, away from everybody else. It's always been about community and coming together. 
The highly spiritual person knows that he or she must sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with melody and grace in their hearts to God, yes, but also to other people. Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, you can't do that on your own, isolated away from everybody. It's about coming together and being God's people. The highly spiritual person wants to worship and come together, and this just makes sense. If this life is the dress rehearsal for eternity, and it is, And John tells us in Revelation 7, 9 and 10, that there'll be people in heaven from all nations, tribes, tongues and languages gathered together. And at least one of the things that you and I are going to do in eternity is worship God together. If that's what we're going to do there, how could I possibly think that I could be a spiritual person here and never do that? Never engage in that rehearsal, in that practice for what's going to happen in eternity. It just couldn't happen. The highly spiritual person realizes it's important to corporately worship God. This is far from saying that all you have to do in order to be a deeply spiritual person is a symbol in a building. But highly spiritual people know spiritual. You say, I'm a spiritual person. You know, it's your responsibility to encourage other people. Hebrews 10, 24, and that your absence in assemblies like this one actually does the opposite. You would know that there is a day coming that's going to draw near to end all days. And in the meantime, worship is a part of the way that we draw near to God. Listen to Hebrews 10.25 in its entirety, not just the first part. Paul says, or the Hebrew writer writes, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but exhorting one another and encouraging one another. And so much the more as we see the day drawing near, whatever that day is, it's drawing near. And the way we prepare for it is in gatherings like this one. It's not the case that I got everything right just because I come to worship. That's not true. But nobody who really is walking with God would try to find a way around this gathering. Neither is this meant to be a rebuke on those who would rather be here, but that couldn't. God understands that as well. But this is what it is saying. The truly spiritual person looks for every opportunity to lock arms with those of like precious faith and does not look for loopholes around that to get away from the people that he or she plans to spend eternity with. In that article in the Atlantic that I told you about, they interviewed one person from California and he said, listen, I don't go to church. I just meditate every day. There was a professor of religion from the University of Virginia who was also interviewed. He said, you know what? When I think about the word church, I think about wearing uncomfortable shoes, sitting up straight in a pew and singing boring old hymns and letting the time pass. And you could put statements like that right in the same basket with people that say things like, you know, Hiram, listen, I'm just as close to God out in these woods hunting. And I'm just as close to God on the lake as I've ever been. It's so quiet and serene. And I really don't need to. I mean, when I'm out there, I really feel close to God. I don't really feel the need to come together and assemble with other people. It's really not important to me. And the New Testament is saying we're really not spiritual if we don't. When Jesus's mom and dad, earthly fathers and mother were looking for him, where was Jesus? He said, don't you know, I had to be in my father's house. Luke two and verse forty nine. He understood it. He got it. And if we're going to be God's people, we need to do the very same. What's one of the marks of a spiritual person? They find themselves engaged and involved in corporate worship. Here's number four. They practice the golden rule. Now, whether you're spiritual or not, you know this rule. In fact, the Kentucky Department of Motor Vehicles, this is how they end the little discussion on individuals that have to get ready to take their safe driving test. They say, make sure that you treat other drivers on the road just like you want to be treated. Confucius, Philo and others have taken this phrase and they tried to do it before Jesus came, but they couldn't fix it like he did. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, Jesus says, All things that you would that men do to you, do even so to them. This is the law and the prophets. 
Do you know why we call Matthew 7 and verse 12 the golden rule? Do you know why it's called the golden rule? It's called that because before Jesus said those words, every other rule of life in relation to how we treat other people failed in comparison. Jesus just summarized what it really means to be God's person. And he says, this is what it's all about. Everything you want other people to do to you, do to them. This is the law and the prophets. It's the second great command of Leviticus 19:18. Love your neighbor like you love who? Like you love yourself. And Jesus says, this is what the law and the prophets is all about. You're going to be a spiritual person, highly spiritual, deeply spiritual. How do you treat other people? The spiritual person does not treat other people like they deserve to be treated. The spiritual person doesn't treat other people like they treat him. The spiritual person treats other people like (coughs) like God treats them. In Romans 5, Paul says, when we were without strength at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you find a spiritual person, you'll find somebody who practices the golden rule. When I was in Florida, I found out about a young man named Jabari Richardson. He was in the panhandle of Florida near the Tallahassee area, and it was on I-10. They have a video of him. He didn't know he was being recorded, but they've got him. He's out there and he's on I-10 and he's having a conversation with the homeless man. Next thing you know, he opens his trunk. He's given the man his shirt, his clothes, his shoes, his everything. He didn't know other people were recording him. The news had to track him down. He's a college student, or he was at FAMU in Tallahassee, and they tracked him down. They said, what were you doing, Jabari, giving away all this stuff? He said, I just saw the man. He was in need, and I helped him. And my mom always said, if you have something, you should share it with other people, and you should help them. Listen, I'm not telling you that highly spiritual people every day just give away all their goods to the homeless. We need to be wise and discerning. And we need to be good stewards, but we also need to be willing to if it comes to that. Listen to Paul in Galatians 6 and verse 10. As you therefore have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. This is so permeating throughout the New Testament that you just can't miss it. This idea is being what it's really all about. Romans 13 and verse 8. No, owe no man nothing but to love one another. Whoever loves fulfills the law. Galatians 5, 14. He that loves his neighbor as himself fulfills the law. James 2 and verse 8 says the same thing. When Jesus says, if you love your neighbor and if you treat people like you want to be treated, and that's the fulfilling of the law, you know what that means for us? It means everything else is unfulfilled if you miss this. If you get everything else right, read the Bible all you want, pray all the prayers, tell everybody you know about Jesus, worship corporately and fail here, and you failed. Jesus says, I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to practice the golden rule. When you meet a highly spiritual person, they will not ask you where you're from, what your religious preference is. They won't ask you about your race, what you vote, whether or not you plan to return the same kindness to them that they've extended toward you. They won't do any of those things before they decide how they're going to treat you. The only thing the spiritual person wants to know is two questions. Number one, are you an image bearer? Are you made in the image of God? And number two, are you breathing? And they can take it from there. Because they know, 1 Thessalonians 5.15, do good to everyone. They don't have to earn our goodness. It's embedded in them. When you look into the face of another human being, you're looking into the face of an image bearer, and you want to treat them the way God's treated you. Now, here's the next one. Highly spiritual people forgive freely. Someone has said, holding on to grudges and resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies as a result. The point is, we do the damage to ourselves, don't we? Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, 
Forgive other individuals their trespasses, and your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. The person that's deeply spiritual, mature, and has a vibrant relationship with God has this point down. They're willing and able to forgive. If you wrong this person, you can hardly get the confession out that you're sorry and that you want to apologize before they're already letting you know that they want to forgive you. They want to let bygones be bygones and to reconcile as quickly and as fast as they can because they realize how important it is. In Mark 11:25, Jesus says, and when you stand praying, forgive If you have anything against anybody else because you need God to forgive you, spiritual people realize forgiveness is a bridge that they must constantly travel back and forth on themselves. And the last thing this person will do is hold a grudge against anybody. They're willing and able to forgive. But there's more than that. The spiritual person knows that bitterness is tricky. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and notice what he says in verse 15, because sometimes a person holds something in. They say, well, I'm not mad about that. I don't have a grudge about that, but bitterness is tricky. Hebrews 12 and verse 15 says, be careful, beware, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. What does that mean, springing up and trouble you? It means bitterness is tricky. It pops up. People think they've forgiven. They've said, "Okay, I'm not worried about that. But don't we have a saying in our culture? What is this? I'll forgive, but I won't what? That's just a cute way of saying when I said I forgave you, I wrote it in pencil. But when you wronged me, I wrote it in permanent marker. We're saying, listen, I'm never going to let this go. And if we're going to be God's person, we're going to have to learn how to forgive. Doesn't mean that we're oblivious to the wrongs done to us. Doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable and demand justice where possible. But it does mean we're going to forgive. When Jesus' disciples were struggling with this, he told them the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, 21 through 35 And he said there was a man that owed 10,000 talents. If he lived 10 lifetimes, he could never pay that amount of money back. His master forgave him when he asked to be forgiven. He went out and found a man that owed him a lot less than that and strung him up by the throat. And we read it and we can't believe how quickly he forgot how much he had been forgiven. And Jesus tells us the parable to say to you and me, don't you ever become that man. I don't ever want to see you stringing anybody up by the throat, talking about what they've done to you, reminding them of their wrongs and refusing to forgive and let go. Paul says, if anybody has a complaint against any, you must forgive just like he forgave you. Colossians 313. You and I really don't have a choice. If we're going to be God's people, if we're going to be spiritual people, we've got to learn how to forgive. We've got to learn how to let it go. And not only that, the spiritual person freely forgives. You couldn't get this person to hold a grudge against anybody or to harbor any animosity in their heart if you superglued it there because they know they follow the one who said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Luke 23, 34. Brent Jean's the brother of Botham Jean. He's actually a brother in Christ. They're family. They're members of the churches of Christ. And you remember his brother was killed by a police officer who went into the wrong apartment in 2019. At the trial, after he gave his victim impact statement, he said, can I do something? It's unprecedented. Can I give her a hug? And he got out and you can see the judge is crying. Everybody's broken up. And he gets out and he embraces this lady. Listen, I don't want to diminish what he did and the bravery and the courage that it took to extend that amount of grace and that amount of forgiveness in that moment. I just want to say to you that if I'm reading the New Testament right, what he did, as special as it was, it's really not all that extraordinary. It's actually what Jesus expects every Christian in the world to do if they were in the same situation. Do you hear Stephen as they throw the rocks at him? Lay not this sin to their charge, Acts 7 and verse 60. It's what spiritual people do. 
they just forgive because they're serving the God of whom it said with you. There is forgiveness. Psalm 130 and verse four. They're ready to say it's behind us. Let's put it behind us and let's go forward. Here's number six. Spiritual person performs their priorities. You know, it's one thing to know your priorities. It's another thing to perform them. In Psalm 27 and verse four, as busy as David was, it said about David. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Every one of us has things that we need to do. Every one of us has things that we know that we must do. But we struggle to perform our priorities. The spiritual person realizes that they can't do everything, but that there are some things that he or she must do. They put those things first. They may have a back burner, but there's nothing on the back burner that should be on the front burner. Family, fellowship, the furtherance of God's kingdom, devotion toward God. Those are the things first in this person's life. Matthew 6:33. seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God says, I'll take care of the rest. It's Paul, Philippians 3:13. This one thing I do. This person has hobbies and interests just like everybody else. But they realize what they were put here for in the first place and also that in their life, only one thing can be first place. And they've got their priorities in order. Now, you take inventory of your life right now, and I'm going to take inventory of mine. And let's ask ourselves two questions. The first question is this. Does there need to be some rearranging in my life? Are there things that God wants me to be doing that I know I should be doing that I'm not doing? That's the first question. The second question is, do I have the courage to change it? To step up and say, you know what, I need to make things right. To sow to the spirit, Galatians 6 and verse 8, because spiritual people, they do this. They get their priorities fixed and in the right order. Even Jesus realized he couldn't do everything. He said the night's coming when nobody can work. John 9 and verse 4. If Jesus said that, we need to be able to say the same thing. Put first things first. Be God's person and say, you know what? I'm not going to be distracted. There are a lot of things I can do, but I can't do everything. Benjamin Franklin said, do you love life? Then don't squander time because that's the stuff life's made of. His point was, you've got such a little amount of time. Life goes by like this. Make the most of it. Psalm 89 and verse 47. Remember how short my time is. The spiritual person says, "Okay." Here are the things that must be done in this life, and I'm going to put those things first. I'm not going to become distracted. I'm going to not only acknowledge my priorities, but perform them. We know what we should do first. We don't struggle to know our priorities and list them and even prioritize them. But what about the performing? What about the carrying it out? David says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to finish. And here's the last thing, number seven. The habit of the spiritual person is to dwell on eternity. This is a person that finds himself or herself often thinking about heaven. In Colossians chapter three and verse one, Paul says, if you've then been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. How often do you think about heaven and actually going there? We really will go there if we're in Christ. And the spiritual person thinks about these things, likes to think and dwell on heaven, about being in the presence of the God we've studied about. This isn't just a hobby we're engaged in. We're reading about the one we hopefully want to go and see, leaving this world behind with all of its bad news and negativity. Going to be reunited with loved ones, friends and family members. It's as real as can be. And spiritual people are often thinking about it. 
Spiritual people think about, according to Peter, the new heavens and the new earth so that they can make it through the old heaven and the old earth. Second Peter three thirteen. There's enough here to discourage us and cause us to give up and give out. But there's enough anticipation to cause us to press on. Paul says, I press toward the mark for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians three fourteen. How could he do that? Because Paul often, though he enjoyed the life God blessed him with, was thinking about the life to come. We don't do this as some sort of escapism to get out of our obligations and things in this life. We do it so that we can endure this life and press toward the next one. If we're to dwell on good things, this is really the very best thing. Philippians four and verse eight. And if you're spiritual, you'll find yourself thinking about heaven. Somebody says, I've never been. What's it going to be like? Well, that's not the point. It's not really to try to figure out all the details or what size mansion you're going to have or who you're going to see. It's really about I'm finally going to be with God. No more aches. No more pains, no more disappointments, no more heartbreaks. I can't wait to go there. And thinking like that and about those things fuels us to be the people that God would have us to be here. You see, this world says, if you really want to be spiritual, sit down, meditate and empty your mind. And God says, that's not how it works at all, really. If you want to be a spiritual person, sit down, think and fill your mind. Your mind doesn't need to be emptied. It needs to be filled with the word of God and with all the hopes and with all the dreams and with all the blessings that God has promised. And spiritual people, they get that. And that's who they want to be. The spiritual walk is not a walk for people that say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm really not interested in religion. Paul says walk in the spirit. And it's not a guess. It's not for a group of spiritual elite people that God is sort of whispering in their ear. Well, these are the really spiritual people. It's what God desires for everybody in the world. To connect with him, to be the kinds of people he wants us to be as we read his word, allowed to impact us. And it starts with becoming a Christian. If I'm not a Christian, I'm really not spiritual at all. No matter how much I read or study or what I watch, I'm not God's person yet. But I can be. Believing that Jesus is the son of God and turning from sin. And if I allow my body to be immersed in water based on that and based on my repentance, God says, I'll add you to my family. I'll fill you with my spirit and then you can walk in it. Maybe you've done that and you realize your habits are contrary to the seven we've discussed this morning. You're starving your soul. Your conversation's ungodly. You don't prioritize corporate worship or the things that you really should. And you dwell on a lot of things, but not the things of eternity. We'd be happy to pray with you and pray for you if you need need the prayers of the church this morning. Let us be truly spiritual in the way the Bible describes it and walk in the spirit. And if you need help in that walk, we'd be happy to assist you as we stand and as we sing.